Hey everyone, it's Pastor Eddie from River of Life. Just want to say thank you for joining us on our podcast. Now let's get ready to hear a word from the Lord today. What does God want to speak to our hearts today? So come on, open your Bibles, open your hearts, and let's get into the Word. Family, if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Psalm 128. And go ahead and stand to your feet as we honor God's Word. If you're new to the church, this is something we like to do is just stand for the opening text, just to honor the Word of God today. And sometimes I pray, Lord, let your Word be a fire. Let your Word be a fire shut up in my bones. Let your Word be a hammer. Today I pray that this Word would be a coin, something that I can deposit into the hearts of our families, especially our dads today, as we talk about the dad in a series about the family that I call God's Family Portrait. Psalm 128 is a snapshot of the portraits, and I showed you some from those that were bold enough to send some last week. Uh, In a couple of weeks, I got something very special, so you may see some more pop on there, but none today. Uh, But Psalm 128 is a perfect painting or portrait of how God intended our families to be. So let's read in verse 1, Psalm 128. Blessed or happy, as we learned last week, is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. And this is the verse that we're going to concentrate on today. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be happy who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion. Everybody say Zion. And may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. Pray your blessing to be upon us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I want to talk to you today about legacies and liturgies of a father. Legacies and liturgies of a father. As the family portrait is, and we've been looking at it, and I just kind of picked it, that title, because it kind of is, like I said, a snapshot. If God would paint a painting or have a portrait of the family, This is what it would look like, to be happy, to be blessed. We'd have our struggles, but God would still bless us. The wife is the heart of the home, the children around the table. I mean, it paints a very beautiful picture. That's God's plan for all of our homes. But just like in the family portrait days, everybody had a part to play. You would have to get in a certain place, and we would get instructions, right? You had to move your shoulders, lift your head up. Everybody had a part to play to make that perfect picture. Kids had to get in their position. The Bible also has specific instruction to every member of the family. We all have a role to play in making God's family portrait. And so we're going to take a couple of weeks and talk about the different instructions given to the different members of the family. Next week's about mom. And then the children. But today it's about what happens when our dads get in the right position, when our dads are there. If you're a single dad, if you are, don't have children, this message is still going to be able to bless you and minister to you. I'm, very, I'm sure of that. So legacies and liturgies of a, of a father. 
I get this from verse three. Verse three, is, it says what? It says, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house and your children like olive plants. Who's your, who's he talking to? He's talking to the man. This entire Psalm is talking to the husband. He's saying, this is my plan for you and your home. This is how your, your wife is to be. This is how your children are going to be. This is what happens that God gives us in instruction. So as I begin to look at this and the Lord begin to speak to my heart, begin to show me what a vine and olive plants, the importance of them today. Men, we need to know this, a couple of things about vines. Vines are designed to cling or to attach. The biblical word is cleave. The very first thing you need to know, men, is that God designed the husband and wife, before you have kids, before there's a family, it's God's purpose for creating the husband and wife that they would cleave to one another. And a woman was designed to cleave to her husband. God tells us this in Genesis 2. It says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two, everybody say the two, the two shall become one flesh. This is God's plan, is that the husband and wife cleave to one another. A wife, a woman, has, is, is she's designed to attach. She will attach to something. It's God's design that she attaches to her husband. If the husband and wife do not cleave, do not attach first, even if you have a blended family, I'm here to tell you the number one priority and the number one job for a husband and wife is to cleave to one another. What does the word cleave? In the Bible, it means to attach fully, body, soul, and spirit. You know, there's a scripture in Deuteronomy that God instructed husbands when you take a wife, he said, you are to take an entire year off work, you were exempt from any battle, from any war, and you were to stay home for an entire year to just pleasure and get to know your wife. How many ladies would say that would be awesome with me, amen? Or some are saying maybe six weeks, then you can have him back, I don't know, I don't know. It is God's design, why? Because this cleaving has to take place. It is the most single most important responsibility of a husband and wife. In a wedding, you see it happen. What happens to the bride in the beginning of the wedding? The father of the bride walks her down the aisle. And what does he do? He walks her down the aisle and he gives her away to this new man, this man. What's he saying? He's saying, honey, I love you. You're my baby. You're always gonna be my girl. You're always gonna be my baby girl. I love you. But you are now, here's the key word, no longer my priority. He is your priority and she is your priority. You two, in order to have a happy marriage, you two have got to make number, each other your number one priority. You are now under his covering. Daddy's always here, but it's me and mama. In fact, mama, this is why it's so important for the husband and wife to cleave, because even when the kids are gone, like Melinda and I, we're empty nesters. It's a totally different experience. When my girls went off to college and they went to Florida, so it was another totally different state. It was different to have the house, just her and I again. But it was good, thank God, that we were able to, to cleave and stay connected throughout those years of raising the kids. It's our number one priority is for a husband and wife. 
The, the dad doesn't walk her down and say, I'm going to continue to take care of both of you. No, that, that's totally, you don't do that. that that's not, you're on your own, son. I'm here to help you. I, I'm here if you need me. But he is now your covering. He, he is now supposed to be your number one priority in life. You are to cling. Behind me is a trellis with some vines on it. And their vines are intended to cling. And if you look close at vines, sometimes you can't even tell that they're two separate. They're, they're so close together. They're so close together that you can't even tell there's two different things here. The two shall become one. If the two do not become one, it will cause damage to the entire family unit. And the older, now that Melinda and I, we've been married for 31 years, I'll tell you what, you, you do become like one. You do finish each other's sentences. You do start to think the same way. It's like the husband and the wife late at night, the wife got a craving and she said, honey, go down to the market and, and I want you to get something from me, but write it down. And he said, oh, I got it, I got it. She goes, no, write it down. And he goes, I got it. And he went to go write it down, but he never did. And she said, I want ice cream, I want hot fudge, and I want sprinkles. He was like, I got it. He came back an hour later and he threw a sandwich on the bed. She unwrapped the sandwich and said, honey, I told you to write it down. You forgot the mustard. <laughs> 20 years ago, I'd have thought that was the corniest joke ever. But you know what? If you're both losing your mind together, it's all good in Jesus' name. Amen. Because you are one. <laughs> this, this is a key component before you go on to talk about children or anything else is the mom and dad have got to clean. She now becomes your responsibility. That means you also have her back, fellas. You also have your wife's back. You are to call to protect her. This, this trellis is strength for the vine. It helps guide her. It, it protects her from anyone, even own family members, people at the job, people at your work. Anyone talk about your wife, you need to step up and say, hold up, listen. Until you respect my wife, you're disrespecting me because her and I are one. If you're going to talk about her, if you don't like her, you don't like me. Come on. Amen. Hallelujah. That, why? Because we are, we are two. We are two. If we don't cleave, then the rest of the blessings that we're wanting God to do, you're not going to get them. Vine. God said your wife is to be a vine. Vines are designed to cling. The greatest gift that parents can give their kids is a healthy marriage. This, before we go on, this is it. The greatest gift that parents can give their kids is a healthy marriage. Not perfect, but healthy. And you stay healthy by cleaving to one another. Now let's get into the message today. Really what I'm focused on is what else a vine does. And I had to look this up because I do not have a green thumb at all. But the Bible also says about your children are olive plants. He didn't say olive trees. He said olive plants. So I did some looking. And both an olive plant, very frail and fragile, is just like a vine. It needs a trellis. It's a different kind of trellis, but it, it needs a trellis. In order for the vine to grow healthy and to produce clusters, it has to be attached to a, a trellis. If not, it will attach to anything. Right? A vine will attach to a brick wall. It will attach to anything. But vines and olive plants in Psalm 128, they have to have a trellis, and here's the key word, to help guide them to maturity. This is what a liturgy is. 
And we all have liturgies in our family. You may never have recognized them. You think liturgies are religious liturgies. No, they're our family liturgies. And I call this liturgies of the Father because it's the Father's responsibility to put these trellises, these liturgies in place according to the Word of God. It's our job to do it. And they're not that hard and that difficult. You're already doing it right now in your family. Single guys, right now, you are forming what kind of trellises you're going to put in your home based upon the kind of trellises that were placed in your home. Liturgies. What is a liturgy? A liturgy is a pattern of words or actions repeated regularly to shape or form in a certain way. They are a pattern of words or actions repeated regularly to shape or form in a certain way. Right now, mom and dad, you are forming your children. Right now, this moment, this, this summer, this summer, the experiences that you did as a family, the, the patterns that you have right now, and it's awesome to see that the, one of them is coming to the house of God, place full and people online. You have a liturgy, you have a practice or a pattern that we go to church. And it's awesome. It's, it's by the words you say, and every family is different. Every family already has these liturgies going on in your home. You may never call them that, you may never recognized that before, but they are. They're, they're just what you do, the sayings that you have, and getting to know different families throughout my life growing up. It was so, remember the first time as a kid you went to your friend's house and saw how they lived and the house smelled different? how they ate their food, and you, you, this was different. You remember experiencing that? Not all bad, I mean, it was just different. Very first time that I tasted an avocado, I grew up in Ecorse, very diverse community, right next door was a Hispanic family, uh, the Hernandezes, I was best friends with Tony and Pablo, and they, they had a little sister, Monica, and, and I was, when I was eight years old, and I saw her eating an avocado, and I said, what is that? She said, it's like your banana but it's better. I went home and I said, mom, they eat something green and slimy next door, you know? She said, try it, you might like it. I don't know what she said, but I was over there next saying, can I have a bite? And now it's my favorite, I love to eat avocados and you gotta put some salt and pepper on there. I mean, man, you gotta see how, how it, it, it's part of life is to experience different liturgies and different ways people are raised. I think it's awesome that you are able to be exposed to different cultures. I'm a very culture, I love different cultures. I think it's the way God intended all of us is to break out of it. Some of you ought to try avocado, it's good, you may like it. I have another family down the street, they were a NASCAR family. They love NASCAR, okay? Any course, yes sir. I remember going down the alley and, and dad and had the, the cars out there and, and he would change the tires. They, was always, they would go down to Dexter, they'd go to the dragsters and all that. They were big into it. What always got me uh, so fascinated about it is not only did dad and his son like it, but mom and the daughters got into it. They all, they were a NASCAR family. You know how that happened guys? Because dad liked NASCAR. Dad watched NASCAR. Dad talked about NASCAR. I guarantee you never had to tell Mr. Messler when NASCAR, when the big Indy 500, is that what it's called? I'm a football guy, hey man. <laughs> My Uncle Jerry was a big NASCAR guy. I mean, you never had to tell these guys. They are automatically there. And whatever is 
valuable to you, whether you know it or not, it's actually setting a trellis for your wife and your entire family. That's the point I'm trying, God is trying to get to us today. The patterns, and I pray, guys, that we need to have a, a, a one of work ethic, absolutely, but that should not be the only thing. I pray that our kids don't wake up at 17 and 18, and the only thing they can say about our kids, our dads, is that we work. Please, that, 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 is, that is only half of what we're called to be. We're also called to be the priests of the home. And there's one to get into the message. If you remember anything out of liturgies and what's important, and these are all cool. We're having sports, and I believe in all that. You guys all know I'm a big football guy. Amen. So how was your weekend? <laughs> Everyone said, I know he's going to talk about the game. What game? What are you talking about? I got a, a message from one of our online viewers in Tennessee. And he said, brother, I can hear you shouting all the way from <laughs> Thursday night. In case you don't know, the Detroit Lions beat the Super Bowl champs. That's all. That, that, that's all. That's all. It's a big thing. It's a big thing, you know, in our liturgy, our family is a football family. We, we get into football. I mean, you may get into sport, you may get into fishing, you may get into camping, you may get into, I don't know what it is, but make no mistake about it. My, my, my kids also know, listen, they don't got to tell me if we're going to watch the Lions game. They don't got to ask me, dad, are you going to watch the game today? But here's the point. They also don't have to ask me if we're going to go to church on Sunday or Wednesday. Dad, if kids are waking you up or even asking you that, we got to get this in place. We, we got to get a, a real steadfast pattern or action that is repeated to the point that it forms and shapes our family. We got to get to that place. And if you're not, if you're kind of like this, you know, that's how, no, you, let me encourage you. Not getting on you, but encouraging you. Let's start making it a liturgy of getting, but here's the three I want to give you that are the most important. Number one is a liturgy of scripture. If I could put a, a word on here, they're going to be on the screen. A liturgy of scripture. This is according to the Bible. This has to be in our homes, dads. We, we got to have a, a pattern of words or, or actions that are repeated that help shape our kids. And the number one is, is scripture. We got to make room for having scripture being valued in our home. That's, that's Bible. That's what we got to do. Paul was a man in the Bible, the apostle Paul, but did you know he also had an adopted son? He had an adopted son named Timothy. He spiritually adopted him. Now, Timothy had a dad. Timothy's dad, though, however, did not want to serve God. He wasn't down with the things of God. He found something else better to do then it come to serving God. And it's, it must have been so sad for Timothy because he had this anointed, this anointing and this calling on his life that his own father did not help encourage. But Paul did. Paul come alongside and said, that boy's got a calling on his life and took him under his wing and mentored him. We have two books of the Bible in our Bible written from Paul to Timothy. And this is what one of the scriptures that he told them. He said, hold fast to the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me. Hold fast to the trellis, to the liturgy. You got you to hold. Remember what? You heard me talk about all the time. Paul was also a tent maker. That's what he did. He was a tent maker. 
That was his liturgy, one of his things that he always repeated himself. He was always doing it. They did it as an as a occupation, but it was also a hobby. It was also something they enjoyed. We have First and Second Thessalonians in the Bible where you find that Paul, while he was tent making, he was also preaching the word of God. He was teaching them the things about God. But scripture is always something that we need to make sure we have for our kids to know. Dads, let them see you read your Bible. Let them, let them hear you talk about the word of God. And if you're new to this, and I don't take it for granted that everybody knows how to do this, it's awesome to see what God's doing to our, with our church, guys. You know, we had 10 first-time salvations in the last two weeks. First time. First time. People saying yes to Jesus. Not to mention people that were like me, grew up in church, but strayed and came back. The Lord is bringing, like at the beginning of the year that he was gonna bring backsliders back to. I believe it's the times we're living in and God is bringing people back to him. So you may be new here and not know how to get a liturgy of scripture in place. Well, let me tell you, this is how you do it. You take picture of this, you can write it down, but this is simple. You have to first get a schedule. Have a schedule in place, a time and place that you read the word of God. And I shared with you about a month ago that we need to do this at least four times a week if we're gonna see any impact. It has to be done four times a week. But you need to have a time and a place that you read the Bible and you talk about the things of God. Start with the gospels, the narratives of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Pick a verse or two and meditate and memorize. This is how you get a liturgy of scripture in your home. And another one that's a benefit of a church is discussing reading from the church classes. You know, our river kids, girls ministry, Royal Rangers, we're all saturated in scriptures. There's so much Bible that we teach from all of these classes. I wanna thank all of our river kids, all of our volunteers, everyone that works in there. Wednesday night, I was talking with Rosemary before she went up and thanking Tanisha and Taylor and we're back at it and seeing the teachers, Alyssa, you guys, I can't name everybody, but all you guys, man, you work week in and week out to do this, study these lessons. But mom and dad, you can simply say, hey, what'd you guys learn in River Kids? Every month, it's a different theme. Lindsay and Felicia put together up there and teach them. This is, these are easy ways wherever you go. Um, speaking of what God's doing in our church and our community, it's amazing. This week, Melinda and I going down to Tennessee She's going down for the American Christian Counseling Association Conference, the biggest one they have. Of course, she's a Christian counselor, but Van Buren's sending me to get uh, more training and chaplain uh, for the Van Buren community here. They're gonna have workshops for first responders in case, Lord forbid, we get, we get something, an emergency in our community, but train in, more training in PTSD and suicide prevention and all of that. It's an honor to be able to do that. Listen, God called, Jesus said a church is like the city on a hill. We are called to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. A city on a hill was the church. When you came into Jerusalem, you saw that temple up there and you were like, what was that? And they said, come and see. The church is supposed to be in the community. So people come to Van Buren, they say, what is that? What is all those flags? It's not God's will that we come in here, we have church and we go home and we don't even impact this community. We're called to pastor this community. We're called to be a light to this community. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. It's an amazing honor, God. Guys, what the Lord has done in our church. It's amazing where God has brought us from. <laughs> we're out here the other day with Ennis and 
I mean, with Amber, this has happened. And with everyone through the last few weeks, just stop for a minute on a property and say, look what God has done here. Never get to the place where we think we deserve it. We, we are entitled. We've done it ourselves. But realize what God has done in our life and through the church. Psalm 128, verse 5, he says this, The Lord bless you out of Zion. This is another liturgy. What is Zion? Zion represented that place where God met with his people. It is the liturgy of an altar. It is the liturgy of an altar. Dads, we got to have scripture in place, but we also have to have a regular routine where we teach our kids that we're able to bring something to God. We have someone bigger than us. And and as dads, we want to fix everything. Right? We want to fix everything, but we need to teach our kids, listen, guys, you have a God in heaven who you can bring your needs. You can carry your burdens. The old song, bring your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. Right? Bring your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. Oh, that's not too bad. <laughs> I better stop while I'm ahead. Bring your burdens to the Lord. Linda Cooley used to tear that song up. Bring your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. And guys, I don't know what has happened over the last hundred years, but in American culture, we have left the praying to the women. Somehow in the church world, praying is for them women folk. Listen, fellas, read your Bible. Jesus was a man of prayer. Paul was a man of prayer. Peter was a man of prayer. He might've fell asleep, but he got back up and prayed. James was a man of prayer. Jewish tradition says that James, they called him camel knees because he stayed on his knees so long that they developed calluses on his knees and because he, he prayed so long and fervently before the Lord. I thank God that I had my dad and my uncles who showed me that it's okay for a man to weep under the presence of God and to get before the presence of God. And my dad and my uncles, listen, there were some bad, the Markham, before there were street gangs, there were families. You didn't mess with the Markhams. They were here. You didn't mess with this family. That's how it was. And the Markhams were crazy. My uncle Billy, he served time in, in the penitentiary, Jackson Prison, violent men, all eight of the Markham boys, wild, crazy people. But you know what? God saved my uncle Billy. First one. God only needs one in the family to change the trajectory. And some of you are that one. Some of you are that one. You're like, man, I passed ready. This stuff about the dad, man, I blew it. Well, I'm, listen. You're here now. You're here now. Start putting these trellises in place. Start texting your kids or grandkids and say, listen, I, I might not have done it right, but I'm going to finish right. I've been praying for you, son, and God put this scripture on my heart. Boom. That's how you do it. We live in a day that's different. You can use technology. But my Uncle Billy got saved in Jackson Prison, got out, came all the way to Michigan, followed my dad around and wept and cried and said, Paul, we had it wrong about Jesus. He's real. And he saved my uncle. My uncle got educated, got his master's degree, got his PhD. He was doctorate William Markham, ran for state senate and won in in West Virginia. Why? Because a little, and I watched my uncles and my dad, my uncle ever, a carpenter. He was a cement man. He built his own house right here in Chelsea, Michigan. 
but he would get under the anointing and he would be, I called him Simity Sam. Remember that little that cartoon of Simity Sam? That's how he'd get so excited about God. The power of the Holy Ghost would come over him. He, could, he would vibrate and shake under the power of God. I watched this as a little kid growing up. The liturgy of the altar. And I would tell you, this was the very thing that brought me back. Because all my life when I got in trouble, I knew there was a God in heaven that I could call on. And I took advantage of that grace. I did. God, if you got me out of this one, I'll serve you, like many of people do. And he would get me out of it. But then God said, you know what, Eddie? I'm tired of you abusing this grace. How many know God can play hardball? God said, okay, Eddie. I got a, See, because I got a calling and a responsibility on your life. And you're wasting precious time. So he began to pull everything out from underneath me. And you know what I did? I built an altar because that's what I was taught to do. But this time I pulled my truck over and I said, God, I know you're real. I don't know if I can serve you like my dad. I don't know if I can serve you like my uncle Billy. I don't know if I can serve you like anybody. I got giants to fight in my life, but I just surrender to you right now in Jesus' name. And the fire of God fell November the 5th, 1997, changed my whole life. I got filled with the Holy Ghost in February, one of the most powerful physical experiences I've ever had in my life. For the first time, my wife saw me cry. Because I was hard, you don't cry. Stupid. I'm tough. That's not a man. And then God began to work in my life and set me free. One of the first things I saw on Grand Rapids on my route, I was driving a truck in those days. I got saved. I remember I looked up and I saw a billboard and it had a, I was concerned about my, my daughters. They're little, three and five at that time. And I said, Lord, what do I do? I don't want my kids to stray. I don't want them to, I know many do, but God, what, what can I do? And I saw this billboard, it's crazy in Grand Rapids. And it said, it had this family in a huddle. And the dad was right in the center. And it said real big, a family that prays together stays together. I pulled my truck over in Grand Rapids, actually in Holland. And I said, God, you believe God can speak through things? Yes, he can speak through things. And I said, God, I'm going to put a thing in place. I'm going to teach my girls to go, I'm gonna start praying like I need to be praying because no one would ever have to ask me to get high. No one ever had to beg me to go to the party. No one had to beg me to cuss somebody out. Nobody had to beg me to do all the stuff my flesh loved to do. Nobody should be begging us to spend time in the presence of the Lord. Nobody should be begging us to get in the house of God. And I said, God, I'm, I'm gonna be just as radical as I was for my sin just as radical as I was for my sin, I'm gonna be that much more radical for you. I'm gonna raise my, I'm gonna be so on fire for God. Man, listen, and he did. I got filled with the Holy Ghost, gave me that heavenly language. Why? Because God's too good to be praised in English. He's too good to be praised with the words of your mouth. Come on, you believe that today? Give him a praise break today. Give him a praise break. If you believe he is that good, give him a praise break today in the house of God. We worship you. You are so good. You are so good, oh God. You are so faithful, Lord. Hallelujah. I pray the fire of God falls and hits every dad, gets every man on fire for God. And listen, here's the thing. If we don't teach our kids 
that they have a God in heaven they can come to. What they'll start to do is they'll start to hide who they really are. So they'll, they'll start to develop another whole secret life. They won't even, you need to tell your kids, listen, you can come to God with those sins, those struggles, the, the shame, the guilt. You can come to God. That's what an altar is for. If not, if we don't teach our kids to build altars, they'll build avatars. You know what an avatar is? An avatar is a false representation of who you really are. You can make an avatar on your video game, on social media. You can make it look like anything you want to look. And I've seen some of y'all, and I'm like, who is that? <laughs> I made one. They tried to make one for me, and I didn't like it. And this one thing to have an avatar on a video game, it's a totally different thing to be living a life that is fake. If we don't, let's get to the altar and teach our kids that you can come to God just the way you are, with your struggles, your sins, your doubts. Jesus made a special trip to Thomas and said, Thomas, you weren't there the first time. This is for those that might have missed it in your generation, but you're here now. I want you to know Jesus is coming to you right now saying it's not too late. Here's my hands, but Thomas, be believing when you do this. It's gonna be some participation on your behalf. Jesus said, be believing and, and touch my hands. And Thomas did that very thing and became one of the greatest missionaries to India. If we don't teach our kids to build altars, they'll build avatars. In the last liturgy that I wanted to spend the rest of our time on, so good, the Lord gave me this, is the liturgy of the table. Right in the middle of Psalm 128, he says, your wife and your children will be around your table. The table was always the centerpiece of the family in ancient Jewish culture. The, fa the family used to always gather around the table. Dads, it's more than just wolfing down Taco Bell and looking at your phones. Dinner is more than just that. Let, 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 me, let me encourage the parents listening to me, to me today. We need to bring the table back. We need to bring the table back in our families. We need to bring that back where we meet around the table. And I don't want to be, all, be that guy, put the cell phones down, but we need to have space where the cell phones ain't there. And when you start, when your kids are, are young, it's a lot easier. You try it now and they're young adults and teens, it's going to be so awkward. Put some music on. I don't want to hear everybody chewing. We still do this in my home. My kids are grown and gone. But every Sunday, today at 3 o'clock, well, we got growth track tonight, so it might be a little different. During football season, it's at my house. And at 3 o'clock, game's overtime or not. Well, if it's an overtime, we might watch that for a minute. Then we get to the table. Every Sunday with adult children, we get around the table and we get caught up and we talk. My little grandson is at the head of the table now. He gets all the attention down there. Why? Because I want my family and grandkids. And, and this is something my girls initiated. Hey, Dad, let's, let's, we miss getting together. We've been doing this before COVID. It's family dinner time. You may not be able to do it every day if your kids are grown or however your situation is. But it's the, it's the table that is so important. It's a place where we, we would get caught up. And as I begin to look at the table in the Bible, I begin to look at how Jesus himself used the table all the time in his ministry. 
He used it when he first started his ministry. When he first came to Jerusalem, he met a tax collector named Zacchaeus. He said, Zacchaeus, we can have a conversation by that tree you climbed up, but no, I prefer us meet face to face at a table. Let's have lunch. Jesus taught us one of the greatest moments in the entire Bible that is just as important or is just prioritized as the gospel was when Jesus was anointed with the alabaster jar. That happened at a table. Jesus said, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what this woman has done to me will be also told as a memorial unto her. It happened at her dinner table. It was at a table where Jesus taught the lesson to Mary and Martha. Martha was, Martha was too busy for the table. And Jesus said, Martha, you're busy, you're running around, you're doing a lot of important things. And maybe families, you don't eat no more like you used to. And because what you're doing isn't bad, they're not bad liturgies. It's not bad being a NASCAR, having that in your home. These things are not bad, but priority is what the message is about today, is having some priority in your life. And Jesus said to Martha, what you're doing is important, but it's not really needed as important as what Mary has chosen to do. And what she's chosen to do will not be taken from her. It's to sit at the table. It's to sit at the table and spend time with one another. Revelations tells us, we sung it today about moving the stone. I love that. Revelations 3.20, one of the first scriptures I memorized. You might've seen that picture, Jesus knocking on a door. It's from Revelations 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man would hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and dine with him and he be with me. And what in dine with him? If you are here and you don't have Jesus Christ in your Lord, as your Lord and Savior, this is the first liturgy you need to get in place. You need to open your door to Jesus and let him come into your life and be the Lord of your life. That's what he wants to do. But I looked at Luke chapter 22 at the most famous table at all, of all is the Lord's Supper, which we're getting ready to take here in just a moment. Is the Lord's table in Luke 22. The last thing Jesus did on earth, he could have had this conversation. He could have had the Passover meal and then go to the garden and have this conversation, but the garden was praying. He wanted to have this most important conversation around the table. And as I looked at Luke 22, the Lord began to speak to me. And I said, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this at the end of my message when we take communion. Because I said, first looked at it, I said, God, it's about communion. He said, it's not about communion. Look at what happened at, at that table. We learn, I want to give you these five real quick, write them down, these five reasons why we need the table. Dad, these are why we need to get the liturgy of the table back into our home. And mom, if you're here and you're a single mom and you're pulling double duty, God bless you, first of all, for doing that. And these are responsibilities. This is, they're, they're, the Bible says that a, a, a family is sanctified by a believing wife. If you are mom and you're the only one that's following after the Lord, God can anoint you and use you to do these very same things over your family. But the first thing that we learn what happens at the table is we learn that the table is not just about the food, but about the company. In Luke 22, Jesus starts off by saying, I've desired to eat this Passover with you, 12 he says, with, vehemently, with vehement desire, I've desired to be with you. I mean, no, eating at the table is not always about the food. It's, it's about the company you keep. That's why we could be so happy back in the day. We had this our grilled cheese with that welfare cheese. Come on, somebody. Amen. 
That's the best cheese around. We was just as happy as can be. Mm, so good. Hallelujah. It wasn't about the food. Melinda and I, when we were first married, and Felicia, just us three in those days, you know what we had every Monday night? Hamburger helper. You know what we had every Tuesday night? Hamburger helper. Guess what we had Wednesday? Lasagna style. Come on, somebody. And we had one little green chair. Remember that LaDonna Tanya, they'd come over, we'd all fight over that little piece of furniture we had. But we were so happy. Why? Because it ain't about the people. We always make it about the people it's not, or about the food. It's not about the food. I love to eat good food, don't get me wrong, but Jesus' ideal of the table is about the company that you keep. Hallelujah. Jesus said, I want to have this meal with you 12. Number two, our identity and values are formed at the table. This was at the table where the betrayer and the loyal 11 were identified at the table. Man, over the years as you meet and have this liturgy of a table in your home, you shut the TV off or, and you put the phones down and you guys talk and you get caught up. This is where you share your values. You talk about school. You talk about the things going on there. And your friend bring up a, a person at school that's going through Well, you know what? We need to pray for them. And this is why we don't do that. Or this is why we do that. This is, what, this is where you have those conversations. You heard me charge uh, the family this morning based on Deuteronomy 6. This was God's idea. He said, as you walk on the road, as you wake up at night, as you travel, as you go out of town, and as you sit at the table, talk about the things of the Lord. They don't always have to be, you know, deep theology. It's where a lot of laughing takes place too. A lot of laughing. Hallelujah. You're in my house. I like to have a good time. We laugh. But it's where identity and values are formed. There is also, we learn this, that vulnerability is at the table. Jesus said that in Psalm 55, when his betrayer betrayed him, Jesus admitted to his 11 that it hurt him. Psalm 55, he said, if it was an enemy that turned on me, I could have handled it. But it was a friend who I ate with turned on me. He's talking about Judas. What is Jesus doing there? He's being vulnerable. There's a vulnerability when you eat food. You can't eat food all dignified. Fellas, don't ever take your girlfriend on a first date at a barbecue joint. Because <laughs> barbecue is meant to go all in. Come on, somebody. Amen. You, you can't look all dignified. Trying, you know, but when you eat, there's a vulnerability when you eat. God intended it to be that way. You don't get all crazy, but you know what I'm saying? There, there is a vulnerability at the table. Another one, we are reassured at the table. There is reassurance that happens at the table. Jesus looked at his disciples. He looked at Peter and he said, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Satan's coming for you, Peter. And Mark, he tells us, this, that all happened at that last moment. And then he told the rest of the disciples, we're gonna go to Jerusalem, the son of man, I'm gonna be uh, arrested and I'm gonna be handed over and I'm gonna suffer. But then he reassured him. He said, Peter, when you come back, you're going to be stronger than you were when you went in. Fellas, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. They had no idea what he meant. What was he doing, though? They were afraid, but he was reassuring them. 
When you sit at the table with mom and dad with your kids, even if you're a single mom, no matter the role you play, a foster parent, listen, when you gather around that table, it doesn't matter really what you say. I'm telling you, it communicates a, a something to your kids that we are okay. It is saying, mom and dad, we're okay. We ain't perfect, but we're okay. Dad is a single dad or whatever, trying your best to do it, but we're here, we're at the table. It's a reassurance that no matter how crazy things are, I'm telling you, this is deep. This is exactly why we've got, the devil doesn't got to get us into sin. Sometimes he just has to get us distracted. And we don't even know what's going on in each other's lives. We've lost that. We've got avatars now. And, and we're just people that's in a house until we can't wait till we get on our own. And I think we, this has all been, an archi- there's been an architect behind it when it comes to the home. And it's get us separated and distracted and get us away from conversations and talking. I remember my girls went off to college, man, in high school, 11, 12 years old. And Melinda and I would sit up late, sometimes one in the morning. I had to get up at three. And, and we would talk about stuff, and one of my daughters was struggling, and, and both of them, they're not perfect. Don't ever think my daughters are perfect. My kids are perfect. And I remember we were talking, and we'd get into some deep conversations, and I would just lean into them and say, well, what do you think about that? And we'd have these, these conversations and was able to walk and talk them through these things and tell them, hey, we got a God that can help you get through that. And lastly, he introduced the covenant to them. At the table, he introduced a covenant. What's a covenant? It's a bond. A table is where we bond. He was, he was saying, listen, I'm going to introduce to you a new covenant. It's the last thing I'm going to do with you is eat at this table, and it's the first thing we're going to do when we get to heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't know how that's going to work, but I'm going to be there. With my bib on saying, come on, I want to sit next to Elijah and and Paul. That's where I'm at. Y'all can sit by anybody you want. I want to say, Elijah, you got to tell me about that fire, that whirlwind, that that whole chariot thing. Peter, come on, you walked on water. What? Tell me what. But it's going to be around a table. It's where the bond is created. Hallelujah. Dads, we need to get a liturgy of scripture in our home. We need to get a liturgy of the altar back in the house. We need to spend some time around that table. I know this is a different message, but this is what God gave him. This is a family. Our family's in trouble. Our families are in trouble today. They've never been so this much distrust and fractured and, and against one another as we are living in today today. Hallelujah. If you have your, let's go right into our communion worship team. Why don't you come and we're gonna end the service. If you didn't get a communion wafer, I'm gonna ask you just everyone to just stand today. If you did not get a, a wafer, um, communion elements, just raise your hand. We'll get one over to you right now. Just raise your hand or ushers or some hands up. And just bear with us as they, as they go to get the elements. Thank you, Jesus. This little wafer, go ahead and open it and take it out. The little wafer on top, it represents unleavened bread. That's why it looks like that. It's, it's kind of tasteless. It's on purpose that way because it represents the body of Jesus and the suffering that he went through on the cross. It wasn't very pretty. 
And so we told them to use unleavened bread. That's why we have this. And it's usually at a table. It's usually a whole meal, what we're doing right here. Again, because it's around the table. Tables are a big thing. That's just how we are as human beings. This body, this represents the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for you and for me. Before we take this, the scripture tells us to examine our lives. And if you are here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, with the communion elements in your hand, you can receive Christ right now into your life. It's actually the best time to do it. All you got to do is just say, Heavenly Father, I am a sinner. And I ask you today to forgive me of all my sins. Come into my life and make me new. I put my faith and trust in you from this day forward. Lord, I thank you for this bread. It represents your body. Thank you for what you did for us. We remember what you did. We bless it in Jesus' name. Let's go take it together. Then in the same way, sitting at a table, he, he lifted up that cup. The cup represents the new covenant. Inside represents his blood. It's not the blood. It's fruit from the grape, from the juice, from the grape. Unleavened bread, unfermented juice. He says, perfect. This represents the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you. I like to lift mine up because all my sins under the blood. That's why I'm put that big cross up there. All my sin is under the blood. All my sin is under the blood of Jesus. Lying, stealing, all of, all of our sin is under the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for what this represents, the new covenant, the promise. Even in my imperfection, even when I'm not perfect, Lord. I can call on you. I can get to that altar and I can call on you and you forgive me and you restore me and you cleanse me of all of my sin. That's what's represented in this cup. And we say thank you in Jesus' name. Let's take it together. And then the Bible says they sung a song. This is what I'm gonna do. I wanna pray over our families again, of course. If you're here and you need, you need prayer, I'm gonna ask our altar team to come. I wanna pray over our dads, especially today. We're talking about our dads. Well, amen and amen. I pray that message was a blessing to you, that you received some sort of encouragement or word of instruction from the Lord. That's our prayer at River of Life, that every time you tune in, that God speaks directly to your heart. Well, this is Pastor Eddie again. Just want to say thank you for listening to our podcast and remind you that every Tuesday, a new message is uploaded. Also, if you want to watch one of our services, head over to our YouTube channel. It's River of Life Church, a church of his presence, his promises, and all people, and you can watch one of our services that way as well. So God bless you. I pray God's presence be with you uh, for the rest of the week. Amen.